Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Thanks to everyone who supports Daily Tech News Show directly. To find out more, head to dailytechnewsshow.com slash support. This is the Daily Tech News Show for Friday, October 26, 2018 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. And I'm from the fringes of the L.A. County Empire. I'm Roger Chang. Welcome, everyone, to our roundtable episode, where we expand our show into a full-fledged one-hour roundtable discussion with Sarah and myself and our guests. Joining us today, Nicole Lee from Engadget.com. Welcome, Nicole. Hello. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us. Also, Ashley Esqueda, host of CNET's Stream Economy, is with us. Ashley, welcome back. Oh, it's terrible to be here. No, it's great. I'm excited. <laughs> we know you mean that in the best way possible. I do. I love you guys so much. Uh, we've missed you both. It's good to have you both back. And while all of our topics cover news of the day today, we're going to start with a few tech things you should know. Microsoft has completed its acquisition of GitHub. GitHub, of course, is a large code repository, popular resource for developers and companies for hosting projects, documentation, and, of course, code. Apple and Amazon and Google and a lot of other big tech companies use GitHub, but Microsoft says it will continue to operate GitHub independently as a business. Bloomberg sources say Samsung's foldable phone is codename Winner. It would not have a fingerprint sensor due to technical difficulties unique to its flexible screen, but it would have an extra four-inch screen on the outside, letting you enjoy some basic features without having to unfold it. A source also says Samsung and Google have been working together on developing a special version of Android for a foldable phone. Amazon's reported Q3 revenue increased 29% over last year. North American sales were up 35%, although international sales grew just 13%. Amazon Web Services sales rose 46%, narrowly missing expectations. And Amazon's other category, which includes its advertising business, rose 123%. Nice work. Amazon also projected holiday quarter revenue between $66.5 and $72.5 billion, and that's below the expected $73.79 billion from analysts. Amazon continuing to become more of an ad company. Meanwhile, ad company Alphabet beat earnings and revenue expectations in Q3. Overall revenues were up 21% year over year. The advertising business, as part of Alphabet's Google division, accounts for 85.8% of Alphabet's revenue. 
And that revenue is up 20% year over year. Alphabet's other revenue category, which is pretty much everything that isn't Google, uh, hardware sales, cloud business, etc., rose 29% year over year, slower than last last quarter's 37% rise. At TwitchCon today, Snap announced Snap Camera for Mac and Windows, which will integrate with apps like Twitch and YouTube and Skype and Zoom and others. So you can use one of thousands, the Snapchat says there are thousands, of its lenses, which are basically the same thing as filters, during important remote work meetings or while gaming or while you are streaming for some other reason. Snap Camera works as a camera output on a third-party desktop app. Now, a Snapchat account isn't required to use the app, and in fact, Snap Camera can't access Snapchat accounts at all. It's a whole different Snap says they're a camera company, so this is the first time they've actually proven that, like, hey, we're going to have other products besides. We'll all use the Snap Camera on a future episode of the show. Yeah, maybe. Hey, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to DailyTechHeadlines.com. Let's get into the roundtable, Sarah. Let's do it. Ashley, this is your discussion topic. I know you just got back from Europe, but we're going to hold your feet to the fire. No, I'm just kidding. Let's talk about the idea of VOD services and how successful they are because AT&T, which owns Warner Media and Turner and Warner Brothers Digital Networks, did announce today, Friday, that its Filmstruck streaming service, which I had not heard of, to be quite honest, but a lot of people have, indie, art house, classic films, is going to shut down on November 29th. The service stopped allowing signups today, October 26th. And the move comes after Warner Brothers Digital Networks already shut down Drama Fever. That was a VOD subscription service specialized in Korean dramas. That shut down on October 16th quite abruptly. And then a week ago, Turner announced it was shuttering the digital content and TV studio Super Deluxe. So what is the future of these services that uh, so many companies had spun out as a la carte services? There are too many of them. And how niche can they be and still be successful? Yeah, I think this is sort of, uh, we're kind of reaching this apex where we're going to start seeing these, like you said, really small niche services get canceled because there just aren't enough. They're not revenue drivers. And so especially Filmstruck, as soon as the Time Warner deal went through, they were just like, well, we're going to start cutting back on all of this, uh, all of these things that are not really revenue drivers. And obviously, This is an extremely niche service and it's popular enough. Like I know a lot of people who subscribe to Filmstruck and they love the Criterion collection there, uh, having access to all of those classic films. Like I think it's an important service to offer, but I also don't know that it can stand on its own. Right. So um, I think now that we're seeing uh, the Netflix model, Uh, everybody's kind of finally gotten wise to the game, right? So it's like, it's taken a few years, but we're now going to see Apple launch a streaming service. We're going to see Disney launch a streaming service and take all their toys from Netflix and take them away and be like, no, I can't have those anymore. Um, And we're going to see more and more of that. So um, I saw an article a few days ago, uh, or I guess now it was a couple of weeks ago because I was on vacation, but um, somebody was complaining that there are too many streaming services. They're like, okay, now I have to you know, we've all been there. So it's like, you've got your cord cutting service, then you have, you know, maybe an HBO or a Showtime or both. And then you have Hulu and Netflix and then, okay, well now I want these niche services like Crunchyroll, or I want, you know, a film struck or uh, anything else that's really small. And somebody was saying, well, now we're getting back into cable packages. And I 
think that's true, but this is what we asked for, right? Like for the longest time, everybody's like, why can't I just subscribe to this one channel? Or like, why can't I just subscribe to this one show or, you know, whatever that is. And it feels like we're getting to that point and people are realizing what that actually means, which is one, this is exhausting. And two, um, it's, it is not sustainable. Like this is not a sustainable business model for so many services. You know, you have to have the backing of a major corporation now, a media corporation. And now there are only six in the U.S. There's, you know, like out of the six, actually now it'll be five, right? With the Disney Fox merger. Well, and it also starts adding up cost-wise too, you know, sort of like that bookstore that has a certain kind of feel. Well, that might be a lovely bookstore, but then if Amazon has all those same books plus all the other books... And they can either undercut or, 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 yeah, exactly. Or, or maintain, you know, a similar price. It becomes harder and harder for something like a film strip, which, as you said, a lot of people really enjoyed, um, to be one of many a la carte services that people would want. Right, right, exactly. And Nicole, like, I don't know how much you do cord cutting and stuff, but like, I know for me, it's, it's got, it has gotten worse in the, the point where like I subscribe to a bunch of stuff. And then over time now, it, like coming towards the end of the year, I'm starting to realize like, okay, I don't need this service. Like I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to, and I think most people are doing that now. Like they're saying, okay, I'm being a little more discerning about what I actually want to watch. And we all know that we talk about peak TV all the time on stream economy, because it's a show about geek pop culture and entertainment. And you're even seeing companies like Netflix realize that they can't make all the shows they make because there just isn't enough eyeballs, right? Like to watch everything that they're putting out, it just doesn't exist. And so it's like they're canceling shows. They canceled American Vandal today. They canceled two out of the four Marvel shows, which is a huge deal. I mean, nobody ever thought those shows would be canceled. Well, isn't part of the cancellation because Disney wants to own everything Marvel now? I think that was the part of the problem that you mentioned earlier, how it's kind of consolidating forces. A lot of these companies are, are joining forces into uh, a single company. And I think that's that's yeah. what you get. You know, people will take Marvel away from Netflix so that they can show it on their own right. entity. And, uh, and I think there is an issue of, uh, you know, is it the same as cable I mean, yes, if you let it be. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. think that the, the 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 thing that doesn't make it cable is that you still have some control over what you what you subscribe, what you're not gonna subscribe. I mean, I do agree that you don't get the same level of the same number of channels, for sure. example. Like but how much you know, do I you subscribe watch? how much right. do you so, watch? Right. So like I subscribe to YouTube TV, but that doesn't have, you know, the cooking channel, for mm-hmm, example. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a bummer, but I'm not going to change my, my whole life just so I can wash the cooking. You know what right. I mean? Like, so yeah. there are all those compromises you make anyway. Um, so, but, I don't know. It, but, but for me, I think, I think it's, point, though, I think it's, it's as the more of these services that we're seeing and the more options we have within those services of what to watch, it makes it harder and harder for these more um, inexpensive boutique sort of shows to make it right. So, I I think we're going to get to a point where um, I know with the Marvel stuff, I have a feeling licensing is a big one. I know Netflix obviously probably pays Disney an obscene amount of money to license four different Defender shows. And if they're not seeing the numbers 
that they want with a show like Luke Cage, which was not very critically uh, well received. It wasn't very good. And uh, I'm sorry, Iron Fist, which was very poorly received. And then Luke Cage, which was well received, but maybe not as um, not as much viewed as a Daredevil, which I don't think Netflix will let Disney wrestle away from them um, until, you know, they're basically forced to, but like, I'm still worried about Jessica Jones. I think daredevil's fine. I think that'll probably come back for a fourth season, maybe a fifth. And then they'll, they'll wrap it up. That'll be it. And then Disney will say, okay, now that's ours again. And like, that's fine. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And, um, but I, I do think that like, we're hitting a point where, like you said, with the cooking channel, we're able to be a little bit better about saying like, okay, kill your darlings. Like I can't watch all of this. So what's the most important to me. Right. So I have Philo as our uh, TV streaming provider and it's like 16 bucks a month, which is really cheap. And it comes with, because it's owned by all of the companies that own like, you know, Viacom. And so it's got comedy central and, you know, all the shows that are harder to find on some of the regular, like streaming cord cutting services or all the channels. Um, But I don't have local video and I, I don't have local TV and I don't have, uh, live news and I don't have sports. And like, for some people that's a deal, total deal breaker. But for me, it's like, that's exactly what I don't watch. So it's like, I get all my news from online and I don't, you know, my local news, I can watch, you know, any, if there's something breaking, I can watch it online again. And also with sports, like I don't really watch sports. And if I do, I'm either out with friends, like watching it at a bar or something, or, I'm just not watching it at home. So sorry, my dogs are going. <laughs> They're very excited they about Philo. hate right streaming now. services, you guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a couple of things to keep in mind here. I, it wasn't Disney by all accounts wanted to continue Iron Fist and, and uh, Luke Cage on Netflix. It was Netflix that decided not to mm-hmm. certainly the fact that Disney is con- beginning a competing service uh, complicates that relationship and, and most definitely had some effect no matter what kind. Yeah. And and like you said, Ashley, I'm sure Netflix is going to keep going with Daredevil. Netflix still has the license to use those other characters. They just didn't want to spend money on those shows. So they're spending plenty of money on other shows, uh, yeah. borrowing another $2 billion. The other thing is I think Filmstruck, Drama Fever, etc. are a victim of Warner Media changing strategy now that AT&T owns them to mm-hmm. say, let's have a package. They've talked about yeah. creating a package with the Turner Networks and HBO as sort of the nucleus. And so service, I think yeah. all of this stuff that's in Drama Fever and in uh, the Criterion Collection, all that is going to go into that service. And they're going to try to make it an easier choice, kind of like a Philo competitor. It won't have it'll, everything, yeah, it'll but it'll have that, that stuff. And it'll be like, oh, okay, well, here's the core package, which is your AT&T Time Warner channels that we own. And then it will be add $5 a month to add the the, the Filmstruck package, right. which will have, you know, the, all of this stuff or, you know, $7 a month to add it with the Criterion collection or whatever. So they'll, it'll probably end up where, however it ends up being relaunched will actually probably end up being cheaper um, for consumers. Cause I think Filmstruck with Criterion was 10 or $11 a month, which is like a 4k subscription to Netflix. So, um, so I think it'll be better for consumers in the long run, as long as those movies are all still offered. And then there is something that, you know, they're able to, to get for that, you know, to, they're able to access those things. I think that's the thing I'm most scared about is like when we, when we can't access stuff and we saw like, wasn't there an article a few days ago about how piracy is actually on the rise now mm. because of all these streaming services that are like making it more and more difficult to, 
to get stuff. We actually talked about that here and on Court Killers both. I'm a little skeptical that the conclusion is piracy is on the rise because of the number of streaming services, because the the slight decline in the decline, I'm not Mm -hmm. even sure you can call it a rise, is in regions that don't have as many streaming services. They just don't not, have the options. Not in the places yeah. that have lots of streaming services. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I've been thinking about this all day. I actually tweeted this earlier. We have, on the one hand, everyone's saying there's too many TV shows. I can't keep up. And on the other hand, saying there's too many streaming services. I can't keep up. I think one is the answer to the other, which is we just have to get over the idea that we could watch all the TV shows yeah. we wanted to. Like it's, you got to get just, over the FOMO. The FOMO gonna, is yeah, just, you got to totally. just deal with it. Yeah, there's going to be more good shows than you can watch, just like there are more good books than you can read and more good music than you could listen to and discover. Uh, and and that's overall a, a good thing. We just, we're just used to there not being that much good television and being able to pay one company so that we can complain that they're not delivering the TV because the cable went out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and we're all millennials, right? So it's like... Well, we're all used well. to, I would say like, okay, so we're all used to yes. accessing everything and being able to see everything. And we're reaching a point now where we can't, and that's very frustrating. So I like one, like you just have more responsibilities as you go on in life, like whatever they may be. And two, like you just can't, there is so much more now. And so even in the last five years, there's so much more now. And so to think that you can, you know, we're so used to being able to see it all and now we can't. And that becomes really frustrating. And I think we'll get over the resistance to buying television shows digitally. A lot of people Mm -hmm. basically discount that idea. Like, well, if I can't get it through a streaming service that I pay for, for a cheap amount of money, forget it. And it's like, well, if, if Philo only has one show you like and it's not worth paying the $16 to be able to watch it immediately when it comes out, then just buy it. That's what, we do be with, that's what we did with Star Wars Rebels. Like we didn't have XD. We wanted to watch Rebels. And I was like, well, I would have to subscribe to like Sling TV and add a $5 Disney package. Like, I don't want to do any of that. So we ended up just adding it. We ended up just buying the season. And yeah. like Drag Race was the same until it moved to VH1. I was like, well, I don't watch Logo for any other show. And I don't want to add it on as an extra package because because I don't watch it, like except for that one show. And so over the course of a year, I know I get at least one season of RuPaul's Drag Race. So if I'm paying an extra $5 a month, five times 12 is 60. So it's a lot cheaper to just buy the season. Like, that's fine. You know, it's, it's funny. I recently had a conversation with my mom because I love Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And she was yeah. like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that show. What what channel? I said HBO. And she goes, well, but I canceled HBO because Game of Thrones is, isn't on. And like <laughs> she kind of like goes back and forth, right? She'll like sign up and then she doesn't want it anymore because she doesn't want to pay for the non-Game of Thrones time of year. And That's a it, lot of and, people. Uh, right, right. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it, I was like, you know, they might put their episodes on YouTube, Maybe not all of them. And then it's sort of like sometimes it's snippets. It does get complicated when somebody wants to watch a particular show. Mm -hmm. And of course, yes, HBO has has its VOD offerings as well. Um, And, you know, some options there. But it's a conversation I have with people more and more. Uh, Bodyguard, which is a, a BBC show, which has recently come to Netflix. I was talking about it uh, with a friend. I was like, so good. And he was like, but how do you, hmm. (laughs) 
I'm like, well, don't you worry about it. But, uh, <laughs> but, but you know, it, again, it's like, ah, I want to watch this stuff. I want to be part of the conversation. Yes. But there are limitations. Even if you want to pay, there are limitations yeah. at times. Yeah. It's, it's, there are limitations of a lot of different things. It's your time, your money, access. Like it's just, and it, and I think the most important thing is exactly what you just said, which is we all want to be part of the conversation, right? So you come into work or you talk to your friends, you hang out with your pals and or your family and everybody want, is talking about haunting on Hill House, right? And so everybody's like, oh, I got to watch Haunting on Hill House. It's so amazing. And, and then the one person's like, oh, I, I, I don't have time. I missed it. And then you feel left out, you know, you feel left out of that conversation and everybody in this day and age in, two, in the year of our Lord. 2018 everybody needs to be part of the conversation i i remember uh being in the office at tech tv everybody talking about sopranos and yeah. i was like yeah i don't i don't even have cable i don't not only do i not have hbo i don't <laughs> i don't have cable and they're like well well what, what do you watch i'm like mm, watch over over the air broadcasts or or things yeah. on, on vcr because that's how long ago it was um but that existed before it was just that you know at a certain point you got uh you got a stable enough job <laughs> that you paid for cable and then then maybe you could <laughs> afford hbo hbo yeah. was always the one thing that maybe not everybody had but sure. everybody had everything else so it's just a different situation now and yeah. even things like the bodyguard or just bodyguard uh i watched it last night on netflix it finally did come so again if if you don't need to watch it right away you mm -hmm. probably will be able to get it in an affordable fashion. Yeah. And if you do if you need to watch it right away, there's probably a limited number of those shows and you can afford to subscribe to just the services that bring you those shows. Which also right. has made spoiler alerts so much more annoying, right? Mm. Because we're all watching things at different times. So yep. if I see Bodyguard and Tom just started Bodyguard and Ashley is just going to get to it eventually. You know, it's like we, this we is, can't talk you know, about our yeah. appointment viewing has taken on an entire new meaning. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. like books, right? That too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> although, although when's the last time you're like, let me tell you about this book. And I'm like, spoiler. No, <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we're just used to it because it is the same problem. All right. Let's uh, move on to Nicole Lee. Your discussion topic today is about smart displays. Uh, I, I imagine you've been uh, looking over all these new smart displays as Facebook gets into the game. Google, of course, refreshing theirs, Amazon updating theirs as well. Uh, let's talk about smart displays are they the new which which device category are they the new one are they the new smartphone the new laptop the new tablet what do you think <laughs> so they are such an unusual thing uh, you know amazon's echo show was the first to come up with it and it what is what the whole idea of it to, to begin with was that they added a screen to a smart speaker like an alexa or whatever it was and then and then Google came up with their own versions of it, the Google Assistant into like the Lenovo Smart Display and the JBL LinkView and the most recently the, the Google Home Hub. And uh, it's the, the Home Hub was the one that really made me think this is such a weird thing because the Home Hub is basically like if you, if you take, a, take a look at it, it's basically like a phablet on a stand. Mm -hmm. So it, like it really, it really looks like somebody stuck a Galaxy Note onto like a stand. And that's what it looks like. <laughs> And I, at first I was like, this is such a weird thing. But because, but at the same time, though, it doesn't do the same things that the tablet does. It's kind of a new category, if you will. 
And anytime there's a, there's a new category, anytime there's a new, there's a new thing of something, you have to ask like, what problem does it solve? Like, where does it go? Um, I think a lot of times people are thinking of this in terms of like the Amazon Echo, for example, when that first came out, people were like, oh, who needs a smart speaker or an Alexa in their home? And it became really like incredibly popular. So, and in comparison to that, I think this is definitely better. Like in my opinion, adding a screen or a display to an Echo or to a Google Home device makes it so much more useful because I can actually see the results. And there's something about visual, something so satisfying about a visual response that I think cannot be beat by hearing the answer from mm. a speaker. Um, but so it's it's a weird thing. I think that the, 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 two, the two devices that I think make the case for it is... Um, the Echo Spot, which is the little round alarm clock thing, mm-hmm. and the Home Hub, which is the little, which is again the Google Home Hub. And the reason why I think those two stand out for me, even though I do like the Echo Show and I do like the the bigger smart display as well, but the reason why I think those two resonate with me is because I think those are the two more mainstream products. Because who doesn't want a cute alarm clock? Uh, you know, and who doesn't want like a cool little smart photo frame or digital photo frame? So those two things, I think that people will understand. Oh, it's just it's just a photo frame with, with Google in it. Okay, I understand that, right? Or if it's uh, a lot of oh, it's a lot of with Alexa in it. Okay, I understand that. Versus like the other products that are like just <laughs> basically weird second TVs that you put in your kitchen or something. Um, so <laughs> I. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the other thing is that they always push, they always push the cooking feature in all of these products. Mm-hmm. You can say, hey, hey, you know, Alexa, show me recipe for, I don't know, chicken soup or whatever. And it will show you like, a list of recipes. You can say, oh, step by step. And that sounds cool. And I've done it before. And that's really neat. But I don't think that way, I guess. Like, I'm the kind of person who, like, skips ahead. And mm-hmm. sees what, what what the end result is, and then I'll, and I'll, I'll skip it, and, and I'll go back. So I don't I don't think I don't think linearly when it comes to recipes. I sort of like, oh, that's cool that the step one is to fill the pot of water, but I want to see what step five is so that I can get ready for it, right? So I don't really think that way in terms of recipe. Maybe I'm that's weird. like I don't normal know. chef stuff. They are supposed to read the whole <laughs> recipe before you start. Like, like, <laughs> exactly. Like I read I read the whole thing and the then. Thing. No, I, if, I do. if I have a recipe that I've made multiple times, but I don't quite have it memorized, I, I love the idea of my echo show being able to display the steps for me. So I can just look like, Oh, I need, cause I actually take my recipes and modify and put them in simple note in like step order so that it's like, Oh, saute the mushrooms while that's boiling kind of stuff. That's all customized to me. I totally want that on the show, but that's not what you can get there. You can't just no. put your simple note up there. No. You get some custom recipe thing that may not have the recipe you're looking for. And like you say, generally it's recipes you haven't tried before, which is well, you probably want to review them at least first before you start yeah. them. So I end up never using it. You need to have like um, like a car play, but like for your kitchen, they were like, hey, I'm cooking like right now. So could you just simplify this down for me? Because that'd be great. I mean, well, I, I mean, I'm actually in the market for a new microwave, and so I was I was revisiting Amazon's smart microwave, which is you know you can pre-order to be delivered sometime in November, so right around the corner now. And it's like 
okay, well, it hooks into Alexa so I can hands-free uh, microwave things. That's pretty cool. But I still have to use my hands to put things in the microwave. So it's yeah. like kind of cool, but I'm not sure it makes a lot of sense. It also only comes in black, and I'm not sure why that is. Because <laughs> black goes with everything. <laughs> but that, but that's another thing, too. It's like this is – yeah, this is something that – like you said, Nicole, who doesn't want a cute alarm clock? Well, I mean, my alarm clock is my cell phone because it's just right. on my nightstand. And then yeah. when I leave, right. then the you know the, the alarm clock comes with me. Right. I guess I'd like something cute that sits there. But then that takes away from my nightstand real estate because it's not a very big <laughs> one. So it's, yeah, it kind of turns into like, is this fashion? Are my smart speakers a fashion item? I mean, I think they all look relatively nice, but it is a certain style that will and probably should be integrated into the things that we already have hanging around the house, like television or, you know, something in the kitchen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like the Echo Dot in places like the bathroom where it can just be out of the way. And yeah. I can say, hey, uh, add toilet paper to my shopping list, you know, without having to w- remember when I go in, <laughs> in, in, into the other room or whatever. So, so it kinda, smart. Yeah. Where can I incorporate this in my home? <laughs> it's, it's kind, it it kind of depends on the function of it, right? I, I want yeah. the Echo Show in the kitchen because that's when I'm going to have it play videos while I'm cooking or, so, or yeah, something yeah. like that. I'm never sure. going to use it for recipes, like I said. But so it, it really depends on where, where you're using it whether you mm-hmm. need that screen or not. And and I, I think Nicole's absolutely right. The I want a little picture frame thing is is still something people love to do. And yeah. and the alarm clock, maybe you don't want an alarm clock, but if you do, that's kind of a nice uh, application of it as well. I have that little, my alarm clock, I have been trying to get away from using my phone as an alarm clock um, because I like, it's the, I, I'm trying to get off of this. Like it's the first thing I reach for uh, in the morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, cause then it's like, I get stuck in the, in the trap, right. the social media trap. <laughs> but I like, I got a little, um, it's called the Devoom TV. It's a little retro, uh, it's a little retro <laughs> looking television and you can set, it's got LED, like animated LEDs in it and stuff. You could program it. And it's so freaking cute. It's D-I-V-O-O-M. I, you gotta see this thing. It's really cute. Um, it's two O's. And it's uh, called the TV. It's, uh, it's that second link down. It's that little TV right there. That's it. <laughs> How cute that oh, is. Wow. TV. Oh, like TiVo, but with an extra and it, O. Yeah, and it has a little app, and they have a time box too, but like the TV is the one that looks like a little retro TV. I'm like, it's an alarm <laughs> clock, and it's like all this, it connects to your connects to your phone. You can like, you can design your own little LEDs, and they're animated and stuff. It's great. It's like the Chumby, except it's truly really pleasant. It's the Chumby. I mean, it, it's, it's just really pleasant you know like it's just something i'm like oh that's so cute every morning i'm like oh it's so cute like i don't feel like garbage because i picked up my phone and opened twitter so it's like it's a good way to start the day i will say that you know the the, the, the you saying that makes me realize uh because i've been putting the google home hub as my quote-unquote alarm clock on the side of my bed and i used to use like everybody i guess using to use my phone to sort of flip through things as i go to bed or wake up or whatever yeah. And now I feel like I have this. I don't really need my phone next to me. Yeah. And I've sort of been trying to just not bring it into bed every yeah. night. I've been leaving it at the it's door. Hard. It's really hard. <laughs> it's hard. But now that I have this, I'm like, oh, it's kind of internet. You can have video and stuff. And it's sort of there. And 
So that really helps me to not have my phone next to me. But that's a really good. Oh, it does. Uh, it's like, yeah, option. I was like, okay, I'm going to get this cute little thing and try it as an alarm. So I'm not immediately <laughs> opening Twitter and feeling existential dread. Like, I just, like, I have to get away from that. So I got away from that with this little thing. I got one in white. It's so cute. But like I said, it's like you can set it to, uh, they even have, I think, I haven't tried it yet, but I think they even have, like, the, the LED that, like, goes with, sunrise sunset like you can have it like light up slowly oh, yeah, over time yeah. mm-hmm. kind of slowly light in the morning yeah yeah that's cool yeah, i so actually I have a, really an old-fashioned led alarm clock and i still use my phone as my alarm clock yeah it's hard it's hard it's hard, it's hard. yeah well, it, and it also, at least for me, it's a, I just moved apartments. And so it's like, and the, my apartment is smaller. I have less room. I want fewer things. Mm. So yes, yeah. I agree with you that we shouldn't be, you know, laying in bed with existential dread, reading Twitter all day and night. Um, and I try not to do that as well. But I also don't want an extra thing Another. that I have to buy mm. for $50. Yeah. If I, I can help really it. Really one thing. Like it's only for one thing. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I will say that, um, you know, talking about, about smart displays and the, the Google home hub and the, uh, the echo show and all that, there are going to be new devices. I think next year where I think Lenovo's making one where it's basically a tablet that if you dock it into a, a, a speaker dock, it turns into a smart display. And I think mm. that's really compelling because you can, when you undock it, it becomes like a regular Android tablet. Yeah. But, when, but when, you, when you dock it into the, the whatever speaker dock or whatever, it, it sort of becomes and transforms into this, this smart display. And I think that's kind of an interesting use case where it can be both. Yeah. Best of both worlds, I guess. Amazon will do that. I mean, if they, they are, don't they have something similar or they did? Uh, yeah, I like, and I think we'll just see more and more and more of that. Yeah, I'm curious, how many of you have Twitter notifications on on your phone? Nope, I have DM notifications on. Mm. Yeah, I have, but that. but that's it. And you still get sucked in to the existential dread. That's just well, but that existential dread is not unique to Twitter. No, 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 yeah. it certainly I'm isn't. Addicted, <laughs> I'm addicted to Twitter, and so I'm actually. Like iOS 12 is really helpful for me. I've been trying to like really take a step back and mm-hmm. like say, I don't, and I've been doing this with the news as well, where I'm like, I don't need to know every single thing that happens no. every second of the day. <laughs> yes. And so I've been trying really hard, like with a lot of my digital life to sort of like find a window and like say, okay, like now is the time I'm going to check Twitter. Now is the time mm-hmm. I'm going to check the news. Mm-hmm. Like, and I just, like I've the the news, like just national news, I, I felt much less stressed out about because it's like you're just constantly bombarded with everybody telling you why this is a tragedy or a disaster or terrible or whatever. And so it's just like I hate first of all, the, the news itself can be really stressful. But then on top of that, when you see how distressed your friends are from the right. news, it's like it and then you see one after the other, after the other, after the other, it just becomes this like this really horrible place to be in where you're just like, I can't even help you now because now I feel paralyzed by it. And so, you know, everybody's drowning and nobody can, you know, get out of the water. And so I I'm trying to be at the end of the water with a stick, helping people get out, but I can't do that by being in the water all the time. I I ask about that because I don't really want to display by my bedside because I feel like even even if it's dark with just white letters that it's probably too bright. It's way too bright. Yeah. And so no, I well, I use my phone to read, 
before I go to bed and and I I have notifications off for most things anyway and then I have them stop at 10 p.m. so when I'm reading I'm not just at night anyway I'm not I'm not interrupted um and so I I I prefer that but I don't know I was I was curious if it was just that but I I think it's 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 just once you pick up that phone you can go anywhere with it which is a blessing and a curse Nicole, I think you're onto something with the tablet slash smart display thing. I mean, I have a tablet that I use for when I am interacting with it, but mm-hmm. then the cover gets closed and it gets put on a table or in my backpack or whatever because I'm like, well, I don't need it unless I'm using it. Yeah. But if, the, if it had a different function and could go somewhere or kind of look nice and was out of the way and yeah. and there was, there, was, there was functionality as a smart display, that would be – I would make it, you know – it would be twice as nice. That would and and it would be cost the same as a regular tablet, so, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Just just a little more for the dock, right? But hopefully that's not too expensive. <laughs> yeah, the dock would cost more. That's true. Oh, just yeah. buy an but, uh, easel. Yeah. Well, it's like buying a keyboard for a Surface tablet, right? Like <laughs> it's an annoying cost, but yeah, there you go. They're kind of mandatory if you want to really enjoy it to its fullest. Yeah, that's right. All right, uh, let's get into our next topic, which is not the advisor-voted topic, but it is one that several of our patrons who are at the advisor level nominated. It didn't win the vote, but we thought it was interesting, so we kind of combined a few of them. Sarah? Yeah, we did. So this is the concept, speaking of existential dread, (laughs) uh, the concept of the future of the human workforce and how people might need to or want to or at least be able to switch careers as their jobs are automated or changed. Uh, We've talked about this quite a bit on DTNS. Um, In fact, uh, back in August, there was a survey by Pew Research Internet uh, that found Americans, at least, are roughly twice as likely to express worry, about 72%, than enthusiasm, 33%, about a future in which robots and computers are capable of doing many jobs that are currently done by humans. Um, I found uh, this uh, website, willrobotstakemyjob.com, to be somewhat amusing, but actually somewhat helpful uh, if you'd like to know if your career is about to be uh, obsolete and you need to go back to college. Um, But then there was a Forbes article from a couple months ago uh, noted uh, a paper that was a combination from MIT and Carnegie Mellon University researchers that predicted certain jobs were much more likely to be replaced by machine learning and AI and not just factory jobs. These were, um, you know, concierge jobs. We've already seen some of this happening. Mechanical drafters. Interestingly enough, morticians, undertakers, and funeral directors. That one is a little perplexing to me, but okay. Credit authorizers, brokerage clerks, a lot of math-related stuff. Um, And of course, there are certain jobs that are less likely, such as something very personal, a massage therapist, for example, um, you know, or something that's highly specialized to, uh, you know, you know, kind of human to human uh, contact. But the idea that AI might replace jobs, but instead of putting a bunch of people out of work, it allows a bunch of people to get better jobs, uh, perhaps more fulfilling jobs, jobs that require uh, a little bit of more of that human touch rather than that automation is definitely a rosy way to look at the future. So Ashley, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on robots taking your job? By the way, I I looked up podcaster at willrobotstakemyjob.com and we're cool for now. Yeah, I feel like, um, I think like entertainers are sort of like... (laughs) 
37, 35%-ish. So I'm, <laughs> I feel good. Um, but, uh, you know, who knows? The deep fakes are starting to get really scary. So maybe somebody will just, like, scan me into a computer and then... Actually, you know what? If I could scan myself into a computer and then teach an AI to do my job for me so that I could have leisure time but still collect a paycheck, I am super down that. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I uh, man, it's tough. It's really... This is... I think there are two major... Uh, hurdles that humanity will have to deal with in this century. And they are privacy. Digital privacy is like one of the biggest things for me that people are still evolving and trying to figure out how we want our privacy to be managed, uh, what it means, how we can be more transparent, because we sort of gave everybody a mile. And then now there's just the gate is open. And how do you get that all back in? So um so there's that. And then I think the other thing is obviously AI and how that affects people in different jobs. And so um, I saw uh, I saw Roger type in real estate agent and you mentioned realtor like those are jobs that may not be around, you know, like with apps and AI and machine learning. Um, it would be very easy for me to type in, uh, hey, I, I want to find a house that is like this. And here are some keywords. And then it just says, here's every single house in the state or the country or wherever that you might be interested in in your price range. And so um, so I, I think automation replacing humans is a is a really scary thing for a lot of people and rightfully so. Although you can look at uh, the medical industry is a great example. Um, there have been quite a few stories about uh, particular uh, you know, reading a, a certain kind of x-ray uh, and trying to mm. diagnose a certain kind of thing that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The radiology um, sector uh, and, and others where it's starting to show more and more that the robot is actually more accurate, mm-hmm. but it doesn't take the job away from the doctor. It's the doctor the then is freed up to make more of that, again, that human diagnosis that is personalized and expertise is absolutely needed and and that job doesn't go away. It just kind of takes the, 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 the paper. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit Anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Stripe tap to pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. 
With Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Work out of what this person is actually really good at doing. Um, and it, in a way, it makes their job better. Now, for somebody like a real estate agent, well, what if the job goes away, but the real estate agent really likes their job? So we might say, oh, but you have you know opportunity for a whole new career. What about those folks that don't see what that new career is? You know, what right. what... What, what is what are I the options for for those about. folks? Yeah, I think that's what most people are worried about. And I mean, I think for me, like you know, obviously, like I I have not studied politics or or you know things like that, so it's very difficult for me to say like what my answer would be if I was in that position. Um, but I do think that at some point we will probably need some sort of. Um, program that helps people transition if their job is made obsolete. And honestly, like, I think we need more of that now. So like, we see a lot of people talk about um, clean energy and moving to clean energy. And I think that's great. Um, But I'd really like to see more, even more initiatives, or, you know, I, I would love to see, I know this is asking a lot, but I'd love to see people care more about other people who are not like them and be maybe willing to pay you know, 1% more in taxes every year to help these kinds of things happen, right? Where we help somebody who maybe had a job in a coal mine or was a realtor and their job got automated out to be able to apply for a program that retrains them, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think this also all goes back to kind of a bigger argument about like college should be free, right? Or even just vocational school, like those types of things, everybody should have access to because we are going to get to a point where people are going to need to retrain, you know, and start new careers. And if we don't give people those opportunities, well, what do we do with those people? And what do those people do with themselves? Like I'm post uh, fake news on Facebook. That's what they're doing. So it's like, <laughs> I that to me is like, it's, it's, you know, it's a thing where it's like, you have to keep people learning and you have to take care of them. You have to care about them. Like we have to care about other people. And so I think that, you know, it's, it's very much a thing where we have to figure out a way to convince people who are not going to be affected by this. So for example, our politicians probably have a very low chance of being replaced by robots. Right. And so they don't care as much as maybe somebody who is, working in a coal mine that their job will be replaced. So how I mean, do you make those people care? Th- there's so many moving pieces. I mean, yeah. you know, the retraining is is crucial because, you know, skills aren't fungible, right? Just because right. you're a coal miner doesn't mean suddenly you work with anything that involves a pickaxe pick exactly. and a shovel. Uh, the other thing is you need the jobs somewhat convenient, like close to that population, right? It's mm-hmm. great to have clean energy, but if those jobs are on the other side of the country doesn't really help those people who are out of work unless you can, you know, subsidize some sort of migration of those, of that population over to where the jobs are. I mean, like, you know, you know, North Dakota saw a boom in the number of people working the, 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 the fracking oil fields 
because they just, you know, they, they came from different parts of the country. They drove up there and set themselves up. But, you know, it, it, it it's it's a policy thing, but it's a cultural shift as well, right? Well, with, uh, the, yeah, with society. If, if I may uh, wind us back from the precipice a bit first, oh. before <laughs> uh, we start, we, we, you know, we say like, we need to incentivize the churches to help people more and the community <laughs> centers and, and, and everything. Let's figure out how much this is going to actually happen, because I don't think it's going to happen as much as some people think. It is definitely going to happen. And coal miners is always a great one because you're like, oh, well, you can obviously automate that. I wonder actually if it will impact it as much as people think because there are still skills in coal mining that require human intuition and human ingenuity. There's so many myths around this that you have to chase after, which is, first of all, AI isn't as good as you think it is. Right. Uh, you know, it is It is not Ooh. going to replace oh, most human... Oh, I think this human- is going to take... I mean, a yeah. lot of time for this to yeah. start right, really right. affecting so there, there is us a down the road universe where we're like really right. dealing with like, oh, wow, even customer service agents are right. are going to be problem. replaced. But that's that's a long way away. Not that we shouldn't think about it, but it's a long way away in the short term. What's probably more likely to happen is what happened to computers. And by that, I mean, the people who did the computing when digital computers came along, which is those people rather than just massively being thrown out onto the street and we had computer strikes and you know computer demonstrations about being fired, those people will transition to other jobs. And jobs arose, middle management became huge because suddenly you could afford to pay people to be middle managers. Mm-hmm. Blessing or a curse, maybe, depending on how you look at it. But you could have product <laughs> managers and project managers. I think what we're going to see in a lot of industries, not all, is that AI allows people to now use their actual skills instead of the drudgery, to actually be more creative, and for companies to say, you know what, we actually can pay people to answer the phone and talk to folks who need to talk to a human being where we couldn't before because we are saving money by AI handling all of this other stuff that we used to have to pay people to do. I'm, I'm not trying to be overly Pollyanna. I'm just trying to provide a little counterbalance. Yeah, I mean, it, like I mentioned, it, there, there's a bunch of moving parts to it, and th- you know, this stuff is not going to, you know, you go to sleep one one day one night and wake up it's like oh i'm out of a job and everything <laughs> in the world <laughs> right, has right. changed uh but um, it will impact various bits of the population you know more it's good to think about it now yeah. reasonably yeah. think about it now and say like okay what can our what can our communities do to to be prepared to help somebody who really isn't just changing their job but their job is gone I think it'll be a, a, a smaller percentage than people think, but it will happen. And so, yeah, we need we need to figure out the best way to handle that. Well, and what does what does higher education look like down the road? Uh, it, you know, let's just whoever is what impacted. What does lower whether, education look like yeah. down the road? I mean, well, I think that's, well, that's even a big part of it too. Absolutely. Well, you, exactly. If you down the road, if you know that a job is going to be, you know, has, has been automated, you're probably not going to take that job. But let's say, uh, you know, I know a handful of people who have left uh, their job as attorneys because they're like, being a lawyer actually really sucks. Uh, money's great, but right. I hated it and went back to school and, you know, now do something else. Well, okay, but they chose to do that. You know, it was, you know, sure. it, it, there was a, um, an economic privilege to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, some people lose their jobs and, and go back to school or go to, you know, specialized training for something else. But that costs time and money. Um, you know, I once I once thought great. like it'd be fun to be an acupuncturist, but it's like really expensive and takes like four years. I was like, well, when would I ever do and that? And you thought, what's the point? 
(laughs) (laughs) Kind of actually. Yes. Uh, But, but, but those are things that are, I mean, they're huge hurdles into uh, deciding to change a job. If you are forced to change a job and you don't have the time or money to change that job. Yeah. Then it turns into, yeah. How do we fund things like this? Even if it's a small group of people, maybe mm-hmm. it's not millions of people across the world, you know, not, not anytime soon, but it, you know, it will happen. And what do, what do those who aren't in danger of losing their jobs to something like this do to help the others? Yeah. I think, um, I think you and Tom make good points in that, like, Obviously, like the, the the majority of people in any given industry, even with progress, automation, robotics, things like that, like they will evolve into new jobs, right? That are that are created within that industry that sort of branch out from the thing they used to do, and and maybe they do uh, have the ability to actually do the thing that they wanted to do originally, but maybe uh, brought down in you know paperwork or anything that requires automation. Like yeah, I, yeah. I totally get that, um, but I would imagine there's probably like a decent percentage of people on both ends of that majority where one end of them simply do not have the resources to do anything and, and are not able to transition, um, which we see now. I mean, just even when companies evolve, like, I mean, this is just, and, and I'm sure like your example with, you know, with, with when we went from analog to digital, like very similar thing, like some of those people just, never worked in computing again, like a probably smaller, much smaller percentage than the people who just transitioned to digital. But I'm sure there are the, there are those who are like, well, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that, or I'm too old to learn that, or I don't want to, or whatever, yeah. and decided not to continue in that industry. And so, or maybe they just don't like it. Like Sarah was saying, you know, maybe it's just, I'm not into this. This is very stressful and I want out. And so, um, so yeah, I think, I think it will happen much slower than we think. I mean, I can't even get Siri to give me like any information. So I like, I'm not particularly worried about it on a regular basis. Yeah. When I see Google, uh, show off that assistant feature that can call and make dinner reservations for you. I'm like, I start worrying about the part-time, a college student who's also an assistant to somebody who needs that money to make their rent like that. Those are the small people who kind of slip through the cracks here where maybe they don't have a full-time job and it's not their industry, but it is how they live. And so I feel like those small jobs that automation will eat up, those will be the first to go. And I think that, that those we, we should still be thinking about it sooner ish rather than later, because even if it's not disrupting entire country as a culture we still have to worry about those people who need that 20 hours a week to make their rent you know and maybe can't all right uh good good points all and let's move on to our final discussion this is the one that was voted on by the patrons at the advisor level at patreon.com slash dtns it was nominated by steve and steve was nice enough to write us a little introduction for us uh he says Hi, Tom, Sarah, Roger, Nicole, and Ashley. I've been working in information security and data center operations side of IT for about 20 years, so security and privacy has always been important to me. Over the years, we've seen breach after breach to the point where we barely discuss them anymore. We have seen regulations get passed by local, state, federal, and international governments, which have a direct impact on how we operate our organizations from an IT security and control standpoint. For example, in the United States, I think each of the 50 states now has its own data breach notification law on the books. 
Add in any breach notification requirements from Sarblane's Oxley, Graham Leach Billy Act, Payment Card Industry Act, Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, aka HIPAA, and of course the GDPR, and the compliance landscape is becoming very crowded very quickly. In my opinion, these regulations have both a positive and negative effect on organizations and the tech we use. I'm in favor of an increased focus on security and privacy. However, for small businesses, I think we're approaching a tipping point, and it's becoming more and more difficult to keep track of and comply with all the different rules, regulations, and laws. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how the changing compliance landscape is affecting businesses, technologies, and the way we're using tech. P.S. Love the show, and you're all doing a great job. Your boss and advisor, Steve I. So thank you, Steve. Um, I actually found a great article just from this week on the Harvard Business Review from Andrew Burt. He's the chief privacy officer at a company called Immuta. He's also their legal engineer. And his column was talking about why privacy regulations don't always do what they're meant to. And he points out something that Steve touched on too, which is small businesses having a bigger burden to comply with these things than large businesses. Uh, for example, uh, we have in, in the column from uh, Bert, Brent Ozar's Microsoft SQL Server consulting company stopped selling stuff in Europe because he couldn't afford the cost of compliance and he didn't want to risk getting it wrong by cheaping out on it. Uh, regulations generally are proportionally more of a burden on small businesses. Broad rules that treat all companies the same encourage this. So it's not like we're seeing businesses go out of business. It's not like you know the GDPR has, has, has caused a wipeout, but it is affecting smaller businesses in greater proportion. In fact, there's been a few studies showing that ads uh, for, for Google have increased in the Europe as a result of GDPR because there are some of the competitors leaving the market because they don't want to have to comply. Whereas a company with as much cash as Google has no problem attempting to comply and can even deal with the inevitable complaints and lawsuits that arise out of it. Uh, California's Consumer Privacy Act opts out specific business segments, such as many smaller organizations. And Bert thinks this is maybe a better model which is regulation should encourage small companies to pool their data, uh, to follow proper procedures as organizations, to compete with larger organizations. And you should, if you're going to have a regulation for privacy, identify that it's a different burden and a different level of compliance necessary for a small business, a medium business, an enterprise level business. Uh, and he also mentions privacy enhancing technologies, often called PETs. Things like differential privacy, you hear Apple talk about that all the time. There's also homomorphic encryption, federated learning, modular data systems like Solid. I, I think, and I talked about this on my editor's desk uh, today, uh, I think all of these are ways to give the customer more control over the data. And the faster we get customers to be able to control their own data, the easier it is for any business of any size to comply because they don't need to handle the data anymore. The customer has control over it. Anyway, I'll finish this introduction up with uh, Bert's quote. He says, we cannot assume that we are ever fully informed about the privacy we're giving up at any single point in time. Consumers must be able to exercise rights over their data after it's been collected. That's something the solid platform allows you to do. And those rights should include restricting how it's being used. So, uh, wow, lot lot to, to chew on here. Uh, but... You know, what What do you all think about this idea that, that if we're going to have these regulations, which I don't think anyone disagrees that we need some kind 
of regulation on, on privacy. Ashley, you identified it earlier as, as one of the two big challenges uh, going forward in this century. How, how do we make sure that we're not accidentally just making the bigger companies richer and bigger at the expense of the smaller companies? Nicole, what do you think? I like, it's such a big, hard problem. Like I just, (laughs) I think the, yeah, the, the question about whether, which company, I think it's true that smaller companies would probably have an issue with it, but at the very heart of it, it's not just giving the customer control over their privacy, which is definitely a huge part of this, but like making them even aware that they have control, Mm. Like like that is such I think a barrier. Like if yeah. you tell my mom that there are all these settings that she could do in Facebook to like block certain people, she'd be like, I don't know any of those settings. I don't want I don't want to know any of those okay. settings. Yep. It's just it's just too much. And I think there has to be a way to not just make them aware of these issues, but to sort of educate them in a way that's easy, that's easy to grasp and to make the tools easier to use. Yeah. Cause Bingo. you know, well, yeah. but, but yeah. And the, you know, the, the mom on Facebook is a great example. It's like, well, you know, if mom says, I don't care, it just doesn't matter to me. And you say, well, but it has to matter. It, you know, it's very important that it matters. It's like, what are the options besides scaring people into it because if you're scared you're already scared you you know if you if privacy is important then you're already going to be like this is actually really bad unless you know what you're doing you have to you have to go the extra mile to make sure that you're protected but for those who say "Mm, it doesn't really matter and how do you do that it's sort of like a commercial right like commercials (laughs) have certain tactics like you either you know you kind of scare somebody into buying a product like how do you how how do you convince uh, a person or a business um, that uh, it's really important to either comply with uh, with 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 privacy uh, uh, ethics or a person to demand that a business comply with privacy ethics when there is um, you know, uh, well, right. a, a, a lack of care. Yeah, right. Right now, we leave it up to the companies. To do this, mm-hmm. and the, and even laws like GDPR leave it up to the companies, and the remedy is you can sue them. Well, most of us are not going to sue them, right? No. Uh, so it's the fear that somebody big enough will sue them that keeps them in line. I don't think that's necessarily the best way to go about it. That's why I do like these decentralized systems that say you are now in control of your data. And what's great about a decentralized system is if you have a third party managing it, or multiple third parties managing it, they can make it easy. I mean, Nicole, you hit it. You got to have a simple interface. You got to make it easy for someone to say, "Oh, okay. I I know that I have to use my my solid ID. I don't have to know anything about how it works. All I know is I have to have one. So I went and I signed up for one. And then whenever I sign up for Facebook or WhatsApp or Snapchat, it asks me simple questions. Can we know this about you in your, in your solid ID? And I say Mm -hmm. yes or no. And then that's it. And I don't have to learn Facebook's interface and Google's interface and Apple's interface, you know, and become an expert in all these things. I've got one interface that's easy to use. The question is, and I'm not saying that I advocate this, but should that be the law? Then just say, Hey companies, if you want to have personal data, you've got to use a trusted third party platform to manage it. You can't keep it yourself anymore. (laughs) I don't know that you can, though, because uh, you can't make that the law. But I think 
I think what you're just like the way you describe it, it's like, oh, it's one password, but for my privacy. Right. And like, that's great. I love that idea. I think I would use that all day, every day. Like, that's fantastic. But I think it's that the laws have to be that we are in charge of our data, not that that you have to use these companies. I think that much like every other web platform that we've seen, like whatever the best one is generally or whatever, you know, works for most people is going to be the one that people use. So I think to to say like you have to use this service, you have to use that service to, you know, get your privacy uh, stuff sorted out as a business. Like I don't see that happening. and I think that's unfair and anti-competitive. And so I, you know, I think it's going to end up being that the regulation has to be based on giving data back to the user and then on the private side of it, it has to be companies have to step up and be like, here's a solution that is not only easy for the user, the end user, but also easy for a company to mm-hmm. sign up with mm-hmm. us. And I think yeah. that that really is going to be, I mean, convenience is king online. And yeah. so if you make it easy and and you make it simple and people go, oh, like this is a new service that allows you to control what data goes out on, on all of the internet. For every service you sign up, it gives you a pop-up when you sign in, ask you some questions, like you said, Tom, and then you just save it and that's it. And you can go back to it much like in 1Password. I can click on whatever website that I have an account with and it'll say, here's your settings. Would you like to re-go through the process again? Sure. And then you click on it and you can do it again. Or maybe it forces you to go re-go through that process every like six check. months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to change my password at CBS Interactive every 90 days. Oh, and they it's still annoying, do that? But, oh. it is, but it is helpful and it is more secure. Even NIST you would, says, you could argue no, it's, it's not more secure. More secure. So, NIST says okay. that that's not good anymore. Anyway, that's a separate. I know, but it's I, like, I hate it. But the thing is, is like, you could do that and like people could update their privacy settings. Like Facebook already does this. It notifies you. It says, hey, you haven't checked your privacy settings in a while. Would you like to do it? Most Would you like people to review them? Yeah, I think that's a good click idea. It away, click away from most it. Most people click it away. Yeah, most that's, people click it away. That's the key. Mm, that's the yeah. problem. So most yeah. people are like, all right, let's get it out of here. Close the little X. Maybe it's that the oh. law says that you must prompt user. You must force users to go through their privacy God, setting like jury once a duty. year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it really is. It's your own private data. I still think you could have a law. Again, I'm not sure I, that I want this, but I think you could have a law that says if you are going to collect private data from people, you have to use an open standard. A open standard yeah. service. I think that that is fair. But yeah. I just, I don't think you could say like you have you to use. You a company. You're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. I wonder also, like, if you could have forced the companies to give to give you like a monthly summary of who's who who they who they sold your data to. I would love or that. something <laughs> or something like, like legally you know, like, force a company to say, "Here's who we sold your data to." <laughs> well, you know, something something like right that. Now, I don't know. When you're people, you ever... would, people would be so pissed, and it might oh, yeah. actually galvanize them to be like, "No, I don't want you to sell all my data. Like, how can yeah. I fix this?" Have you ever loaded right. a video game and have it give like tips while it's loading, right? Where it's like, exactly. hey, did you know you can you can go into your your uh, your loot box and do this f- funny thing? What if what if when you were actually you using down the internet when you were using your decentralized ID thing, it would just pop up a card that said, "Hey, did you know Facebook has your phone number?" Just yeah, just reminding Ooh. you, you know, like 
do do that every once in a while rather than force you to review but just kind of pop up an information slide you can still dismiss it but it might jar you to go like oh right i forgot that but who, that. but who's providing that slide that your decentralized <laughs> identity service. management <laughs> thing that runs locally service. for just you right but but who's writing the slides well, it's just in the software, and it and it's, it's okay. it uses who's it programming uses, the software. So if it was the like same one people password, who created the open you standard, have, you would have right? a piece yeah, of software yeah, exactly. that yeah. was a, run by a company that would say like, okay, well, you have all these accounts at all these different websites, and then so if you go to that website, you get that pop up that's like, hey, by the way, like Facebook has your phone number. And here are the companies that it sold it to last month. You can write whatever. that without having to know anything about someone. You just know yeah. what the fields are, and you look and see what if they're right. populated. So. What I would love to, what I would love to have, like love, love, love to have. If I see an ad on Facebook, I want to know how they got that metric. Like, what did what did I go? What what, what did I do? Don't they have something what, like that? Did I go something similar? That tell me how they know that I was interested in this thing. Like, I would love to have like a little like. Detailed. At the very least, have all that ad stuff where you can see like where, where, how it's targeting you. Like you yeah. can see that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, well, that and I mean be- that's why there are so many conspiracy theories about your devices listening to you listening when it, when you know Facebook Messenger wasn't even open, but then all of a sudden I got an ad about something I told my husband that we for sure never looked for and. Well, like who knows? But but yeah, it's like but people <laughs> really, like no one really knows all, what's going so on with 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 tar- with with how targeting works half the time. Yeah, yeah, it's a black box for sure. It is. It really is, and it's just it's. However, whatever the solution is, like what we're in right now is just not good. And it's not not good for the companies either, right? Because this is where this whole conversation started with small businesses can't afford to keep up with a lot of these best practices. So an open standard would help them too, because it would take the burden off of them to say, hey, let's have a decentralized platform. Invest in a platform. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we solved that internet. Please take our (laughs) solution. Job done. Run with it. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, uh, wonderful yeah. roundtable today, um, particularly because we had such great roundtable contributors. Uh, Ashley Escada, we'll start with you. Thanks so much for being on the show and let folks know where they can keep up with all your work. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I host a show called Stream Economy on CNET's YouTube channel, and it's really fun. And the very first episode a long time ago, I got hit in the face with a pie. Uh, but we talk oh, my about- God. We talk about geek pop culture every week and it's uh, but it's like kind of a deep dive. So um, we sort of shifted the format earlier in uh, a couple months ago. And so now we talk about like one topic. So I think our last episode before I went on vacation was about Google Stream. So we talked about, you know, Project Stream, what it was, um, if it's good or bad and what it could mean for the future of like game streaming. So we talk about movies, TV shows and games that are streaming online. So uh, it's really fun, and we it's made with two people. It's me and uh, my producer, Logan, and we work really, really hard on it. And so if you happen to catch it on a Saturday, uh, that'd be great. And we're coming back next week with uh, our BlizzCon episode. We're going to BlizzCon, so great. I think it'll be a blast. Excellent. Also, thanks to Nicole Lee for joining us. Nicole is a regular uh, guest here on DTNS, so nice to see you again, Nicole. Um, also, former colleague of mine. What are What's going on at Engadget these days, and what can people catch up with? So we have a lot of stuff happening. A uh, couple of conferences coming up, I think, still. A lot of events, in gen- a lot of reviews coming in. So I'll be doing that for sure. Um, sorry, I'm going to be... 
on the way out. Uh, but thank you so much uh, for having me. You can just go to twitter.com slash, slash Nicole for all of that and more. This, folks, will be the last roundtable for a while. Uh, unfortunately, we're below the milestone that got us the roundtable, so we're adjusting some things. But we're also adding new things, like the Editor's Desk audio column I mentioned. Posted one today for patrons at the $5 level with more of my thoughts on the Kinza thermometer and Clorox ad story and personal privacy in general. You can get that and more at patreon.com slash DTNS. If you've got feedback for us, well, I've got an email address for you. Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We're also live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Join us if you can. Always nice to have you live. And find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back on Monday with Lamar Wilson as our guest. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.